Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game-changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of the We Coach Podcast on Wisp Sports. Please join us every two weeks as we sit down with some of the best and brightest women coaches, leaders, and industry experts in the world of sports for fun and inspiring conversations. I'll be your host, Megan Kahn, Executive Director of We Coach. This podcast is a co-production of We Coach and Wisp Sports. I don't care about boys. We Coach is the premier nonprofit organization committed to recruiting, advancing, and retaining women coaches of all sports and levels. Through programming, resources, and an engaged community, we are changing the landscape for current female coaches and the next generation of young women who dream of following in their footsteps. Today's guest is one who is beloved in the volleyball world as well as the community of Tallahassee. There aren't too many women in the world who are more passionate about helping female coaches and women's sports than Cecile Renaud. From 1976 to 2001, Cecile guided the Florida State Women's Volleyball Program to over 635 victories. Having served her community on various boards and charities, in addition to her various roles on the national and international stage in volleyball, which includes stints on the USA Volleyball Board of Directors, Cecile is also an accomplished professor, author, and sought-after speaker. Last year, she was named to the American Volleyball Coaches Association Hall of Fame and will be formally inducted next week during the AVCA convention in Minneapolis. Let's hear what she has to say. Welcome, Cecile. Thanks for joining us on the We Coach podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, I'm jumping out of the gate, and I'm going to do my best to not date you here, but I really want to dive into your childhood because it was really just on the cusp of Title IX. You were All-American at Southwest Missouri State, which is now Missouri State. Can you talk about what it was like growing up in that time period and then how you evolved into such an accomplished volleyball player? Well, you know, I was really fortunate that uh, my family supported sports and I knew, you know, at an early age, I want to be involved in it. So I, I ended up at Southwest Missouri State. I played for two outstanding women uh, that coached volleyball, Dr. Mary Jo Wynn and Linda Dollar. And I also played two years of field hockey, but then gave that up uh, my last two years. So I, you know, I was just at the right place at the right time. Uh, AIAW years, we played all the time. We were a great team, uh, you know, one of the best in the country until we'd get up against UCLA or Stanford in those early times. Mm-hmm. So you really did play for two legends in the game and anyone that knows anything about Missouri athletics, which I must slip this in. Congratulations on your Hall of Fame induction last year. 
You really did blaze a trail um, pre-Title IX and then talk about what, what it was like when Title IX came into effect and how much effect that maybe had on your... Well, I was coaching at Missouri State. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I was coaching at Florida State at that time when Title IX came through. And so I was fortunate to be involved at a university that really believed in supporting women's sports. And our athletic director, Barbara Palmer, uh, set up our program so we could be successful and fully funded. So we were uh, fortunate to have uh, an athletic director that believed in us. And it was uh, exciting to be able to out go out and recruit athletes and give them full scholarships. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Did you always know you wanted to be a coach? Well, yes. I mean, in, when I was young, I really enjoyed uh, everything I was involved in sport-wise. And I played a lot of different things in high school. And, uh, you know, played softball during the summer and, you know, basketball, field hockey. And I just thought it was exciting. I really never even considered a career in anything else. Oh, that's amazing for all of our young ones out there to hopefully now see so many women succeeding on the sidelines. So that's inspiring to hear. One of your claims to fame, and we're going to talk about your career at Florida State, which as many people will hear as this podcast goes on, you have many claims to fame. But one of them was coaching Gabby Reese in your time as head coach at Florida State. I know all of our listeners are dying to know what that was like. Well, she was here in the late 80s and early 90s. And, you know, I just happened to run across her in Tampa during a spring tournament and had a scholarship open. So invited her to come to Florida State University and be on a full scholarship. Well, she decided to do that. And then once she got here, uh, of course, she was beautiful and was being pursued by modeling agencies and had done some of that when she was in high school. So they wanted her to model while she was playing volleyball. And of course, the NCAA rules at that time wouldn't allow you to be paid for that. So the first year she was a, a scholarship athlete and then she gave up that scholarship to be able to be paid. And, you know, some weekends she would make more than I was making as a full time a volleyball coach at a Division One university. But we worked very closely together, getting through all those rules and regulations. And she would travel during the spring and model and then come back during the summer and make up her hours so she could compete. But we got to be very close. And I think she's probably one of the toughest athletes I've ever coached. But, uh, you know, she was, we also had our uh, conversations that were kind of serious, you know, she'd try and tell me how to coach. And I asked her where she was in 1976. And she said, uh, I was in sixth grade. And I said, I was standing right here, doing the same thing. So she, you know, backed off a little bit, but uh, has just remained a great friend for life and really uh, a remarkable inspiration to so many people. Yeah, I know you have great respect for Gabby and Laird and their family. You spend time with them in California and they split their time between Hawaii and California. Can you talk a little bit? I know you were just so impressed. She was recently back on Florida State's campus um, for some of the celebratory events you have going on there in Tallahassee. Can you talk a little bit about what that meant to Florida State athletics in the community? Sure. And, you know, I've kept in touch with her and visited with her in uh, in Malibu and in Kauai, where they live. And, and for her to come back and have her jersey retired, I think it meant as much to her as it did to us. And she was so gracious with all the fans and people that remembered her playing and have since followed her career. And, uh, you know, she took time to take pictures with everybody and uh, do television interviews, newspaper interviews, and signed autographs the whole time she was here. Met with our former alumni that started here in 1968. And it was just a real treat to have her back on campus. 
Absolutely. And now knowing the impact you had on her life, I don't know that um, if you hear her talk about it, she recognized it then, but she recognized the uh, significance and the importance of having a very strong female role model in her life. And when she talks about that, it's, it's a tribute to you. And and in the bigger, larger grand scheme of things, it's 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 the foundation of We Coach and our important work. So thank you for that. Well, and I think it's just so important that uh, coaches realize they're working with people and, and everybody's going to be different and have different situations. So I think uh, understanding what athletes might be going through, whether it's something as big as this or, you know, other simple problems they might be going through, just you have to work with them as individuals. Mm-hmm, absolutely. At the time of your retirement, which after 26 seasons, I believe you were one of only eight active coaches with more than 600 wins. What are some of the biggest lessons that you learned in your career? Well, I think it's thinking about, uh, we don't really coach a sport, we coach people. And I, I think people need to, coaches need to understand that we spend a lot of time talking about techniques and tactics, but you really don't get anywhere if you can't get the people to do those things. So I think coaches need to be aware uh, that when they are studying various things, it really needs to be, how can they improve their relationships with some of those athletes and uh, inspire them to be the best that they can be. I think, uh, you know, we've got to keep it fun. In all of those years, I think it's important that, to understand that all athletes, Olympians, and at all levels, do better when they're having fun. You know, it doesn't have to be giggly, but it's, you know, it's got to be tough, but enjoyable. So with, as you're going through that process, you know, it's, they're going to want to come back tomorrow. And I think that's important for coaches to remember. Absolutely. When you look back on those years and you reflect on those moments, what do you, what do you, what comes back to you as the most rewarding time? Well, you know, Megan, it's pretty f interesting that you don't really think of the wins and when athletes get back together, uh, they don't say, oh, remember when we beat uh, Louisville or remember when we beat Pittsburgh. They, they don't really talk about that. They talk about the moments that happened, not just, you know, on the court. It's not about the wins, but things that happened to them while they were here on campus and together. I think one of my favorite Memories, though, was when we won the 1998 championship, the ACC championship, and my team had asked me if I would get a tattoo if we won. And I, you know, so I, yes, we used that as motivation all year. And so at the end of that championship, I had to go in and get a tattoo. And uh, the only thing I would do differently is I wouldn't put the year on it because uh, 1998 was last century already. And so that's a little scary. Can you share with our listeners what that tattoo is? I'm not going to ask you where. I just said what it is. It's on my ankle. One of our athlete's parents was an artist. Uh, she taught art. And so she designed a, a volleyball with a kind of a seminal headdress and a feather uh, coming down from it. So it's, it's definitely unique. And uh, our sports information director saw me coming out of the tattoo parlor on a main street here in Tallahassee and pulled me aside and said, you know, it looked like you. And I said, you know, that was me. And he said, okay, you know, I just, I was worried. And I said, nope, my team was there with me. And that's what we did. <laughs> you might be able to categorize this as also one of the biggest lessons you learn is not to date your tattoo. Yes, for sure. So when this goes live next week, you'll be formally introduced amongst your peers and colleagues into the ABCA Hall of Fame, which is a very prestigious and worthy recognition. What does that mean to you? Well, it's overwhelming, really, uh, Megan. I've been in the AVCA since it started. Uh, I've served in so many different roles. 
uh, at, the, at that organization on the board several times, uh, chaired the All-American Committee, chaired the Awards Committee, and, uh, and I've also emceed this coaching luncheon for probably 20 years. So I've heard everybody give their Hall of Fame remarks. And so it's, it's going to be very difficult to summarize your thoughts into you know a five-minute talk to a group of your colleagues. But it's, it's very humbling, and I'm, I'm very excited about it. You stole my thunder because my follow-up to this was going to be, would you rather be emceeing or would you rather be in the induction seat? You know, I don't know why they're not asking me to do both, but uh, that, you know, I, I think uh, I'd rather be receiving the award. And again, it's going to be such an honor and uh, it'll be emotional just to look up at all the different coaches that I've either worked with or had in clinics or uh, coached and or worked with as officials and administrators. So uh, it's going to be a great time. It really is. And, and I'm privileged that I'm going to be in the audience with you that day um, to watch that moment. But uh, really for you to look out and you're such a face of ABCA and USA Volleyball, really congratulations. Thank you. Can you share with our listeners about the various roles you've played with USA Volleyball um, nationally as well as internationally and even maybe touch a little bit with sitting volleyball? You know, I've always believed in getting involved in all areas of the sport. And uh, so I served on the USA Volleyball Board back in the 80s. And then I'm uh, currently on the USA Volleyball Board again. And it just it means so much to me to have a voice on what's happening with the future of our sport and making sure that we're taking care of our athletes and our coaches and our referees and really just trying to guide um this sport as we have for all these years. I was also asked to uh, be the team leader for the USA sitting volleyball for the 2012 Paralympic Games. And uh, while I didn't have any experience in coaching sitting volleyball, you know, I had some administrative skills. So I, I was uh, so lucky to get to go with a, a group of talented athletes and coaches to London and live in the Paralympic Village and watch them uh, receive a silver medal and work so hard for that. But uh, what an experience. And I'm so glad that they've received more recognition. The Paralympians have received more recognition uh, nationally. And our sitting team won the gold medal in this past uh, Paralympic Games. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Very, very important work. And USA Volleyball, um, I, I think as we look at volleyball as a sport, we know is probably the number one trending sport in America right now. So big shoes and big work for you guys to be doing. Well, we enjoy it, that's for sure. And there is there is a lot of work to do. And, you know, we spent a lot of time developing our safe sport model. Uh, we started back on that in 2010 and, and feel like we have one of the strongest programs to protect coaches and athletes uh, while they play our sport. With that being such a hot topic right now, can you share more about safe sport and how that uh, plays in for the protection mechanisms? Well, we've tried to come up with uh, various recommendations to put uh, together for a committee, and those were included making sure there were two adults uh, always involved with athletes, you know, that we weren't giving private lessons or private meetings, but there's always uh, two people around. We talk about uh, different ways of travel, you know, we shouldn't be giving athletes rides homes by themselves. And also the biggest, I thought, topic I brought up that I thought was important is that the athletes need to understand what it is to be in a safe environment and what they should do if they don't feel safe at any time. And that others need to report something if they see something that uh, 
if if something seems suspicious, you know, they need to get involved and make sure they report it to the appropriate authorities. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Which is uh, everything that's going on in the sport landscape is so important right now. Sure. So looking back and knowing what you know now on such a distinguished, not only coaching career, but an administrative career and a speaker and author and all of the tags that we could align with Cecile Renaud. Do you have any regrets or would you have done anything differently? You know, I I don't really have any regrets. I think uh, this is the same career I would do if I were starting out as a young woman again. I thought it was really important to be involved and I started at such a young age. I think I was 22 and some of the athletes were 22. So, you know, I really had to set myself apart and make sure, you know, that I drew that line early. And I think that was helpful. You know, I did turn down a couple of jobs at other universities early in my career. And, uh, and so the good news was I stayed at one university for a long time, which gives you a great pension. You know, the bad news is I could have gone some other places, but I uh, am totally happy that I stayed at Florida State and I've uh, been very proud of that career. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And you're an icon in the Tallahassee community. I know you've served on a number of boards and, and given to a number of char charities and services. Talk about some of those in the Tallahassee community that are near and dear to your heart. Well, I've served as a board member and president of the board for the Refuge House, which is the domestic and uh, sexual violence center here in town. Uh, I did that once I retired from coaching, but that took a, an enormous amount of time. And I certainly learned you know, what a crisis uh, we have in so many areas uh, in that aspect. And then I also serve on the FSU Varsity Club Board, uh, the Hall of Fame Committee, uh, just a variety of things at the university. Mm -hmm. As well as you teach in their graduate level online coaching certification program as well. Yes, I did. I retired full time from teaching in 2015, but I have uh, continued to teach some classes online for the graduate level. There's a class in called athlete recruitment and it's how to recruit athletes, an advanced coaching class, uh, a motor learning class. So I've uh, been involved with that somewhat. Mm -hmm. And what is it that you still love about keeping your fingers in that mix? Well, I just think uh, teaching coaches and educating coaches and making sure they're prepared with whatever they come up against, that they're, they can be successful. So I, I enjoy people that have been through the classes say, oh, you know, I get this now. I understand that now. I feel more prepared going into working with my team or dealing with parents or injuries or uh, communication issues. So I, I enjoy uh, trying to help people be successful. Mm -hmm, absolutely, which is a perfect segue to talk about We Coach. For our listeners, Cecile serves as the president of our board of directors and was one of the founding board members of our organization back in 2011. And I know I'm not entirely biased when I say this because we have research to prove that our work is making a significant difference in the lives of women in the profession. What do you see now in the, in the industry as a whole that has changed maybe even just in the last seven to ten years since your involvement and really the foundation of We Coach. Well, I think the uh, you know when we first started out, we were coaching against women, and and that's just the way it was. And then more men got involved in coaching, and that's I think that's fine. And certainly they're outstanding coaches. I think our organization, uh, We Coach, has really tried to 
be the flagship organization that helps out women coaches just by helping them network and mentor and really get the skills that they need to be successful. I, you know, I don't think somebody should be a coach just because they're a woman. I think they should be a coach because they're the best woman. And so I feel very strongly our organization has stepped up to help with those educational uh, classes and workshops and uh, networking again that I think is so important to female coaches. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Without letting the cat out of the bag, but knowing what you do about our new strategic plan that we're working diligently on and about to implement, can you give a little bit of a teaser for what's coming next? What can coaches look forward to? Well, Don't put me on the spot. Don't put I me think on the spot. we want to try and make sure that we continue develop developing educational settings where uh, women can continue to grow if they want to advance, that we really make sure that they're at the next level. And uh, and maybe we try and just hand select coaches to come in for some educational seminars and, you know, weekends or sessions just to make their make sure they're prepared to go on to the next level. And again, just uh, being polished coaches on the court or on the field and, and having enough confidence to do what they want to do. And, you know, Megan, I think in 2005, I put that book together, She Can Coach, because I believed it that long ago. And so I really think uh, women that want to be coaches can learn from some of the best women in the country that have been successful. Mm -hmm, absolutely, which that book uh, features a ton of them. Can you share with our listeners where they can find that book? Well, I believe you can get it from Amazon.com or Human Kinetics. And, uh, you know, I just I want it. I've read every book by all the male coaches about every sport. And I really want, I was thirsty to find out what did the top women do about things and what did they think about things. So, you know, we were able to get Pat Summit and Mary Wise and Nell Fortner and uh, 20 different coaches in 15 sports to really talk about various areas and how they could be successful. Mm -hmm. And and this all ties back to we coach and the fact that we're serving women across multiple sports and multiple levels. And so many of these things are not sport specific. They're transferable across uh, the the levels. Even if you look at grassroots all the way up to we now have professional coaches as members of our organization. And what I think that's that's well, I think that's really important, though. People understand that they need to talk to people in other sports. You know, sometimes you don't want to share uh, issues might, you might be having with coaches in your own sport. So you've got to be able to, you know, if you're a volleyball coach, reach out to a basketball coach or a field hockey or a soccer to really get to know them and some of their advice on how they handle things. Mm -hmm. And in, in our programs, I know you sat in the back of the room, so you've witnessed this when we bring coaches to an event or to one of our coaches academies and the light bulb goes off when you see them in a room. It might be the first time they've been in a room full of just female coaches and the light bulb goes off that all these other sports and all these women are battling some of the same challenges that they're battling. It just is really unique and puts them into a very uh, empowering position. Oh, it's just, it's one of the greatest feelings ever just to walk in and look at uh, a room full of women that are passionate about the same thing you're passionate about and feel free to share with each other. So now you're retired. You've alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, you're probably one of the busiest people I know ever in retirement because you are always on the go and always doing things. What keeps you motivated? What, when you wake up in the morning, what gets you out of bed? You know, I've just always been like this. I think my mother told me in high school, I need to slow down. And I went, okay, 
Uh, but, you know, it just never resonated with me. I, I don't know. I'm just fortunate. I have a lot of energy. I like to be involved. And uh, so I, you know, I get up and do a variety of things, whether it's biking or going to work out or going to a meeting or uh I, I don't know. I know a lot of people look at me and go, where do you get this energy? And I, I just, I don't know. It's just a, a natural and I'm fortunate to have it. Mm -hmm. If you could forecast what the, the landscape is going to look like for women in the coaching profession or 10 or 15 years, and it was a dream of yours, what would you say? That we would be recruiting, actively recruiting young women off of our teams now and in our programs to seriously think about a career in coaching and that they they automatically think of that as a career and not as something that uh, just a few of them do. And I think we've seen that happen. We've now got members of the USA National uh, volleyball team coming back to different colleges and, and taking roles in coaching. And, you know, we want to have all sports do that. So it's not... Uh, just a, a mistake that somebody gets into it, but it's a full-fledged career that young women know and they take off on it from the very beginning. Mm -hmm, that they know it exists, that they want to follow in somebody's footsteps is the whole recruitment pipeline. And they, and they see that female coaching and they know it's a possibility and they can uh, lead a successful life having that as a career. If she can see her, she can be her. That's right. And there's now so many moms, Mary Wise is certainly one of them, um, that have proven that it's certainly attainable to be a coach and a mom and do both well. And I think that's uh, also rewarding when athletes come back to campus and, uh, you know, some of them are coaching and they bring their kids back. And it's just it's so rewarding to see that. And we, we have a young woman here in town who's got three children. One's now in college. One's going to one's a senior and another one that's still in high school. And she runs a very successful club. She works and it's, you know, people can certainly have a very exciting, fulfilling career and raise a family and do a wonderful job of both. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I think the more we can celebrate and share those stories, so the younger generation, the younger assistant coaches who maybe are questioning that balance really, really have role models and can see that it can be done. Oh, and it's done by a lot of women and it's done very well. And in fact, they're almost, they're almost even better coaches because they are so much or they've just got, you know, a really budget their time. So they're uh, very on top of things whenever they get to the office or to the gym and they, they're really prepared. So it's been fun to watch. Absolutely. If we poked your veins, you'd probably bleed garnet and gold, right? So <laughs> now with the year-long celebration of the 50th anniversary of women's athletics at Florida State, which you had a hand in developing all of these initiatives um, for the year, can you, can you talk about what that means for um, 50 years of female athletics at Florida State and some of the things you have going on? Well, to think that 1968 was our first, uh, the the women in volleyball were the first team on uh, campus to play intercollegiate athletics uh, is really pretty exciting. And then, of course, other teams, uh, sport teams joined in after that. But we were able to have an event in September to really kick this off. And uh, we had a lot of athletes come back and staff, managers, trainers, assistant coaches and, uh, and coaches. And then each sport is having a reunion this year. And the volleyball reunion was a couple of weeks ago. And just to have uh, the some of the athletes 
athletes from the 68, 69, 70, 71 teams, and those coaches. We had uh, three of those other coaches back in town and have them spend time with the uh, indoor sitting, uh, the indoor team, and also the beach team was able to meet uh, some of those athletes, although we didn't have beach volleyball except for the past few years. But they sat and the older women talked about what it was like when they were in school and uh, what they did and you know how they had to buy their own uniforms and and I and we really had some of the younger athletes in tears because they really were so appreciative of their history and it was uh, an amazing event to witness that and I, I think we've got to really make sure we caution people to not forget their history and make sure that their athletes are aware of what went on before them. Mm-hmm, absolutely His, the importance of and history of women's sports and Title IX, not everyone necessarily recognizes some of those early challenges, which you're certainly a trailblazer. Thank you. It's, it's been fun and, and making sure that everybody understands, uh, you know, what's, what's gone on in the past. And we're pretty aware of our men's sport history, but we've got to really make sure we take care of that in women's. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You're constantly helping others grow, which includes me as the executive director of our organization. So many coaches and players of the game are looking for those tips, those um, leadership skills, or where do you go to find nuggets of information? How do you continue to personally grow? Well, I like to read. I like to uh, I look at various websites. Uh, I, I listen to people here in town. You know, I'm fortunate to know a lot of coaches, a lot of faculty members, and really just try and learn something uh, new a little bit every day from uh, various people. But it's it's just interesting to always have this uh, curiosity. And uh, you know, I went back for my PhD while I was coaching, and and. F- took me four years, but I finished that in 98. And I did it because I just wanted to learn. And uh, it was it was just interesting if you can have the curiosity to continue learning and growing and uh, and sharing your information with others. It's very rewarding. Mm-hmm, that thirst for lifelong um, knowledge and growth. So you alluded to reading and we talked about your book, She Can Coach. Outside of that, what are your some of your favorite leadership books? Well, I like... Uh, you know, I, I like some various books like uh, Getting to Yes, I think is a good book on negotiation. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that I can pull up any off the top of my head, but it's if you find uh, somebody that you really like uh, and that you like to follow their career and you can read any material that they've put out or any books or autobiographies, I think those are always good. Any business books, I used to go to the business book section of the library, or now you can download any of these and, and see what's trending there and, you know, really understand how to create a successful business. And that's how you grow your program, I think. Mm-hmm, absolutely, because sports is a business, whether we want to like it or not. Right. So we end every episode with some quick hitters. I'm going to rapidly fire some questions at you, and you come back with the first thing that comes to mind. Sound okay, good? sure. If you could only use one word to describe yourself, what would you say? Fun. Fun. Ooh, I love it. What do you like to do for fun? I like to uh, bike ride. Well, that was going to lead to my next question because I was going to ask if you could pick, is it bike ride or golf course? Uh, Well, I like to bike ride for exercise, but I certainly like to play golf for fun. What's the favorite golf course you've played? Four courses. I'll let you choose more than one. 
I've been to several courses in Hawaii that were pretty fun. Uh, there's also one at Coeur d'Alene that's got that island green that was pretty good. Uh, I mean, you know, some of them are so beautiful and it's such a privilege to be out there. I wish I were uh, maybe a little better, but uh, those have been some of my favorites. Awesome. I love it. So calling a match or coaching a match? You know, I like calling a match because you can study both teams. You can try and watch their strategy and tactics and then hopefully lead the audience through what's going on. But then at the end of the match, you don't have to figure it out if you lost. So it's it's uh, nice to be able to come home and relax and know that that's not a burden that I have to figure out if, uh, if one team lost and I'm coaching that team. Uh, so calling it has been uh, a little more relaxing. Yeah, you get to go home happy for our audience to see Moonlights as a volleyball broadcaster for the ACC network. Your biggest role model? Oh, that was Pat Summit. Was she was a great friend. I was fortunate to meet her in the early '80s. Uh, we spent a long time together, and uh, and she was just tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. Very much missed in the sports world. She was one who transcended sports, and I think it's um, it's. It's indicative of when we talk about uh, transcending sports here because your biggest role model was somebody not even in your sport. Sure, so. it is. She was great. If you could invite any two to three people to a dinner party, who would you invite? Well, you know, I would invite my family, uh, you know, my parents, um, my partner. I think, the, you know, those are the people that I miss talking to. And, uh, you know, while there are other more famous people, I think uh, the people that helped me grow up and be successful are the ones I'd like to spend time with. Absolutely. And I know you love your dinner party. So I had to slip that question in there. Great. We're going to end with if you could share one piece of advice for the next generation of women coaches, what would you say? You know, again, realize that you're coaching people and uh, and keeping it fun. I think that's those two things will get you a long way. This was fantastic. So many nuggets, such an inspiring conversation. Let me end by thanking you for being such a voice leader and champion for female coaches and women's sports in general, and for continuing to pour your heart and soul into our work of our organization. Well, thank you for your leadership if we can coach. Inside stories, interviews, and cutting edge tips from the leading coach in ice hockey. Tune in to Hockey Talk with Shannon Miller. This is Wisp Sports. Thanks for listening to today's show with Cecile Renaud. Every two weeks, we'll sit down with female coaches, experts, and industry leaders in the world of sports. Our podcast features dynamic conversations, explores coaching insights and gender equity, and shares stories of courage and resilience to empower you on your coaching journey. Subscribe to Wisp Sports on your podcast app to catch all of the new shows. Follow us and share your comments on Twitter at WeCoach and at Wisp Sports or on Facebook at WeCoach Sports and at Wisp Sports. The show notes for today's episode can be found on our WeCoach podcast show page at wispsports.com, where we also find more coverage on women's sports. I do want to share with our listeners to check out our new online store where you can pick up your favorite WeCoach merchandise. The holidays are right around the corner, so be sure to check it out on our website. That website, wecoachsports.org. You'll also find information on how to become a WeCoach member. We have resources and price points suitable for all levels of sports. We would love to have you join our community of like-minded women. 
Please tune in in two weeks as we sit down with internationally recognized sports life coach, Carlette Patterson, CEO of Patterson Sports Ventures. I promise you'll leave that episode smiling and learning how to score more 10 moments in your life. Until next time, all sports, one voice, we coach. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.